from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm Lisa Chelia. Several months ago, Congress enacted the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act in response to the financial crisis that caused the worst recession in decades. Among other things, the law calls for U.S.-listed companies to divulge more information about their business dealings. Although the move toward greater transparency appears to be a positive development, Grant Eldonis of Split Rock International says it could put U.S. companies at a significant disadvantage, particularly companies that compete internationally in the search for oil. Grant is with us today in studio. Welcome, Grant. Thank you, Lisa. It's good to be with you. Grant, you've conducted a study outlining your concerns with the implementation of Section 1504 of the Dodd-Frank Act. First, could you briefly describe what Section 1504 says? Sure, Lisa. What the law requires is that U.S.-listed companies um, report all of the payments they make to governments with respect to the commercial development of natural resources like oil and gas, uh, and do so as part of their annual reports. And what's particularly striking about that, of course, is the level of detail requiring the companies essentially to adopt accounting procedures that are deeply inconsistent with the way they normally report information, as well as ultimately the disclosure. And, of course, the, the point that the study really makes is to say, ultimately, there's very little benefit, oddly enough, out of a broad reading of Section 1504, particularly relative to the cost that's going to be faced by U.S.-listed companies. So what's wrong with demanding that U.S.-listed oil and natural gas companies divulge more information about their international operations? Well, actually, it's one of the ironies of this, because all of the U.S.-listed companies were very involved and supportive of a multilateral effort, a broad effort, including both governments, the private sector and non-governmental organizations, called the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, the EITI. And in supporting the EITI, the companies were perfectly willing, actually, to disclose what would have been helpful in terms of actually matching their payments with information that would be revealed by the governments that subscribe to the initiative. Unfortunately, what the law does is reach well beyond EITI, not only in terms of what it demands of the companies in terms of reporting, but also what they would disclose. And so you're faced with a situation from the company's perspective is that not only are you potentially undermining the rules that U.S. negotiators agreed to in a multilateral setting, but you're imposing a burden on the companies that ultimately doesn't yield more transparency but puts them as a competitive disadvantage in the marketplace. So it really is a classic cost-benefit thing. So, yeah, that situation where very high in terms of the cost it imposes on companies, but very little benefit in terms of the goal that the legislation was designed to pursue, the aim that it was trying to achieve. Grant, many U.S. listed oil companies are huge. Can't they compete successfully against large oil companies based in other countries? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a misperception, I think, particularly among a lot of the advocates uh, in the transparency movement, of which I've been a part for 30 years, basically, that the situation in uh, the global energy market is somehow the same as it was in the 1970s, that it's dominated by the privately held companies, ExxonMobil, Conoco, uh, the big players, Chevron, Texaco, things of that nature, that names that people are familiar with. But the reality is that it has changed fundamentally since the first Arab embargo in the 1970s. So today, if you sort of looked at the uh, the equivalent of the the coach's AP poll, you would find that in the top 20, there's essentially one of those companies. All the rest are foreign state-owned energy companies that now dominate the market. How could the Dodd-Frank Act affect U.S. energy security? 
Well, in terms of energy security, it's, you know, first it's a global market. And so what you want to really be concerned about is whether or not you're limiting the possibility of U.S. listed companies to compete effectively when they're bidding on a new process. So it's not ultimately about price. It's whether they have access to the resource. And you can imagine the reaction of the governments, even the governments that agreed to the EITI, to the idea that now these U.S. companies will be obliged to reveal much more than what U.S. negotiators agreed to, what U.S. industry negotiated to, uh, and agreed to, and what the foreign companies agreed to in the first instance. So one level of this is the possibility that they lose access, that they're no longer invited to bid, because there's no obligation on the part of these governments to actually invite ExxonMobil or Chevron or uh, Conago to bid if they feel uncomfortable with what these guys will have to reveal. The second thing is cost. Ultimately, what you're requiring in this instance is the creation of a whole new kind of internal compliance program and a different set of accounting standards. No global company, not just in the energy sector, actually does their accounting, their financial accounting, along the lines of what a broad reading of Section, section 1504 would demand. Since large U.S.-listed oil companies are owned by shareholders, many of whom have energy stocks in their pension funds and 401k plans, could they be hurt by Section 1504? Absolutely. You know, one of the interesting things about it, of course, is that the international companies all have to go to private markets for capital. And so if you make them less competitive in seeking capital, since this is a very capital-intensive industry, you're going to find they're going to be less capable of competing for the ultimate resource, less profitable at the end of the day. And what that does, interesting enough, from the point of the U.S. consumer and a U.S. investor, which is oftentimes the same in terms of our 401k and our pension funds, they no longer will have access to um, an investment opportunity which has paid off because the companies, the international companies, because they have the discipline of the market, unlike the state-owned energy giants, are obliged to be profitable. So they base their costs on the bust, not on the boom. They manage themselves so they'll be profitable even in the bus cycle, which affects every natural resource industry. So they're always profitable, which is why everybody wants to buy their stocks and their bonds. You start to dent that, you really take the edge off of what they can deliver for the American investor. Grant, this isn't the first time you've dealt with an international issue of this nature, correct? No, that's right. Actually, I've been involved in uh, the making of U.S. international economic policy for over 30 years, starting out as a U.S. diplomat, then as a trade negotiator, later as the Chief International Trade Council on the Finance Committee, most recently as the Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. Um, and equally, I've spent the bulk, bulk of my career in the private sector and there in private practice as a lawyer as well as being chairman of trans, the U.S. arm of Transparency International. I've been involved in the movement actually to encourage transparency, and that's what's made me such a strong advocate for a multilateral approach. What I've seen over those 30 years is that when the United States takes a unilateral step and imposes, in effect, a unilateral sanction that only applies to U.S. listed companies in this instance, what you find is that it never works. In the past, U.S. listed companies have had to comply with laws that encourage transparency, like the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, or FCPA, and it seems they are still very competitive in the world marketplace. Could you talk a little bit about FCPA and how Section 1504 differ? Sure, yeah, and I think really to take the issue head on, um, there's a tendency, I think, to suggest we should be able to impose obligations on U.S. companies, U.S. listed companies, sort of regardless, because they remain profitable. The first question you should always ask yourself, and I know this was certainly true when I was working on the Hill, is that if I'm not going to get any return, 
out of the legislation that I'm passing, why would I impose an additional burden on any U.S. listed company? That ought to be the starting point. And so looking at Section 1504, the first question you should ask is, what will it deliver? And the reality, of course, is that it delivers something far short of what EITI would because it doesn't bring the government in as a point of comparison. So ultimately, you really have to stop short of it and say, regardless how profitable these companies are, is there is it make sense to be imposing an additional burden if there's no return, which is the case here with Section 1504. Now, assuming that they are profitable and assuming that you were getting some return out of it, you'd still be obliged to say, are we imposing something that will necessarily make these companies less competitive? And there I have to say, while I was under Secretary of Commerce, I was responsible for reporting to Congress on the effect of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And the evidence in the record is absolutely clear. The number of export sales that we lost over a period of time because of inconsistencies between U.S. law, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and the law applied by uh, countries where many of our largest competitors were, was stark. It was in the billions and billions of dollars. So the idea that there's no consequence to this or there's no cost to this because a company remains competitive or because it remains profitable now really misses the point of what we've seen based on our experience with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. The Securities and Exchange Commission has to promulgate the rule that will be used to implement Section 1504, correct? Absolutely, and actually it creates an opportunity. Because one thing that Section 1504 does is leaves the flexibility to the SEC to try and implement this law in a manner that's actually consistent with the multilateral rules that the U.S. government agreed to, that the U.S. industry agreed to, and frankly, that the non-governmental organizations that have pressed for this legislation agreed to as well as a part of the EITI. And so in this instance, the SEC should use the discretion available to it to make sure that they're implementing the multilateral solution that works as opposed to opting, opting for a set of unilateral sanctions. Have you expressed your concerns to the SEC? I did. I, I actually uh, filed the analysis with the SEC for their consideration uh, through the normal administrative process. And one thing I have to say, as a, both as a lawyer and certainly now in operating my own business, uh, I admire the process the SEC has created. It's always open. It's always very transparent. It's actually a model of the sorts of things that we should be doing. So really, kudos to the SEC for the process that's unfolding, because it will allow for a conversation that, frankly, the passage of this legislation didn't allow. These are the sorts of issues that should have been raised in the consideration of the bill, fully debated, and then we would have a piece of legislation that was actually consistent with the EITI and would more faithfully pursue the goal of transparency than the particular legislation that actually passed at the end of the day in Dodd-Frank when it was sort of added to the bill in the dark of night. Grant, I have one final question. In your view, does Section 1504 really make oil and natural gas companies' operations more transparent, or does it have the unintended consequences of encouraging less transparency? It's an interesting question, Lisa, because it all depends on how the SEC chooses to implement the legislation. If, in fact, it uses the flexibility that is available to it and implements the EITI faithfully, as it was agreed to by the U.S. negotiators, the industry, and the NGOs, what you'll see is that you will have embraced and reinforced a multilateral system that is going to have a cascading effect in terms of encouraging transparency. If, on the other hand, what you do is adopt a set of unilateral controls that fall only on the U.S. listed companies, you do two very interesting things. One, you disable them in some respects. You'll have countries that will then be in, disinclined to have them bid 
for their natural resources. As a consequence, you'll have less transparency. You'll seed the market to the foreign state-owned energy companies that now dominate global markets in a way that will also decrease transparency rather than increase transparency. Grant, thank you for sharing your observations with us today, and thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.